Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hey, my name is Zach, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint and part of a preaching team, and excited to be with you today after three years of preparation. Wow, this should be really polished today. Uh, It is Vision Sunday, and we're excited about that. Um, Vision Sunday is a day where we get to dream together about a a picture, a vivid description of of the future. We want to dream together about what God has for us over the next four years, and we're excited to do that today. I do want to share, you know, as our uh, team is a team approach in our plurality of leadership, I will be sharing today is just a mouthpiece representing all of our leadership. That includes our elders and our pastors, but really it includes a large group of people. As you know, you've been a part of some of these meetings before helping develop the direction of our church. So thank you. Today I just get to represent you as I represent Christ and where we're headed. It's Vision Sunday, and we're gathering together to dream. It's not the first Vision Sunday our church has ever had. In fact, we've had a few before. Uh, The first one was actually just a few years ago, 142 years ago, and it started on horseback, believe it or not. That was the first Vision Sunday. Can you imagine it? Dirt roads of the Old West in a little town called Fort Collins and a group of Christians who had heard the good news of the gospel gathered in this city on the dirt. They got off their horses, and they said, let's have a vision Sunday. Let's dream of the future. And you know what this group of Christians dreamed of? They dreamed of planting a church in Fort Collins. In the same year that Colorado State University was founded, Our church gathered for a vision Sunday. They dreamed of a preferred future. They said, let's start a church together. And in that year, First Baptist Church was born 142 years ago. That was our first vision Sunday. We've had many others. I'll point to one other. We had another vision Sunday just a few years after that. In 1961, our church was gathering in a beautiful stone building in Old Town, Fort Collins. It's still there on Remington and Olive. And we had another vision moment. We had someone who could see something in the future that wasn't yet here. And so one of the members of our church, Jack Forney, got a bus. He rented a bus. And he got a bunch of members, and he threw them in the bus, and he drove to the edge of civilization itself. A dirt road called Prospect Avenue. And they got out of the bus and they looked at the great abyss, an open field right here. And Jack Forney gathered with a group of Christians and they had a vision gathering. 
He described the future that no one could see yet. He said, look, right over there, they're planning a new school called Lesher Junior High. And we could put a church right next to it and make a difference in students' lives. And you know what's going on over here in this empty field? They're going to put a brand new neighborhood over here. There's going to be tons of single family homes. We could reach new people for Christ way out here at the edge of town. They had a vision meeting. And today we're having another one. It's not the first. Vision Sunday. It's happened before in our church. It's actually something that goes way further back than our church itself. Did you know that Jesus had a Vision Sunday? He did. I'm convinced you're suspicious now. You're like, no, he didn't. He did. He had a Vision Sunday. It was a vision gathering. Jesus Christ died on a cross. And three days later, he was resurrected, and he gave instructions to a handful of disciples. He said, I'd like to have a Vision Sunday. It's going to be a gathering. And anyone who'd like to come, I'd like to invite the disciples that are remaining to meet me in Galilee. Now, the Son of God himself only had 11 left. He started with 12. So those 11 gathered on a mountainside. And here's actually a picture of the Sea of Galilee. This is probably one of those places where Jesus gathered on a mountainside overlooking the sea. And he had a vision meeting. He gathered in the same place where he called his first disciples on the shore of Galilee. Three years ago, these were fishermen. But Jesus had transformed them into fishers of men, disciple makers. And it was a messy process. Three years of his life, walking around together, eating meals together, day and night, doing ministry, Jesus poured himself into 12 disciples, and only 11 of them showed up to this vision meeting. Only 11. It's Jesus' track record. What's more, you heard it just read that in verse 17 of Matthew 28, though some of these disciples worshipped him, do you know what it says in verse 17? Some still doubted. They watched him die. He is standing in bodily form before them. He still has scars on his hands, and they were still hesitant to grasp what was before them. And Jesus had a vision meeting. He said, 11, come together. I want to give you a picture of the future and your role in it. That's what Jesus did. It's Vision Sunday. This is what it sounded like. Jesus said, here's my vision for the future and your role in it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, friends, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you hear the future-oriented language? This was a picture of what hadn't come yet. Christ was continuing the mission he had started just three years earlier, but now the mission was going bigger and wider and further into the future at a vision meeting. A vision Sunday. This was Jesus' first vision gathering. Everybody in the church agrees, don't we, that the Great Commission should be the mission 
of church. That's what we should be about. And everybody nods along. Here's where this gets challenging, a little bit murky. How do we actually accomplish that mission? How do we do that? And I don't mean theoretically, I mean today, in 2022, through LifePoint Church, in Fort Collins, Colorado, how do we do that? That's a trickier question to answer. And that's our intent this morning. We wanna answer that question. How will we as a church fulfill this great commission? So I wanna unpack from the text three ingredients that are key in accomplishing the Great Commission, and then I wanna share with you some plans we have for the next four years. That's where we're headed this morning. How do we actually accomplish the Great Commission? I'm uh, convinced there's three key ingredients. We need God's people, God's word, and God's spirit. Stir vigorously for 20 minutes, let's sit for multiple centuries and the gospel explodes to the nations that's it three ingredients if i put all these ingredients together i i might define it this way and, I, and i'm helped by a really helpful resource i think i've got a picture of it it's this book called the trellis and the vine and we have really enjoyed this resource for years as a staff we went to a conference probably five years ago now and we've read through this resource. It's some Aussie pastors that have a really simple definition of discipleship. And if I paraphrase their definition of discipleship using these three ingredients, it might go this way. This is, this is what discipleship is and really what disciple making is all about. Here's a, a working definition. What is disciple making? It's moving people one step at a time towards Jesus to become like him. That's it. It's really that simple. What is disciple making? It's just moving people one step at a time towards Jesus to become ultimately more and more like him. That's it. I love it. It's so simple. That's all we're doing, taking steps, moving towards Jesus. How then does that actually happen? Well, you need the three ingredients and you stir them together. Using God's people, prayerfully speaking God's word in dependence upon God's spirit. Those are the three ingredients. I've even got it on the slide there. That's what we're doing. We're moving people one step at a time towards Jesus and we do it through God's people, prayerfully speaking God's word in dependence on God's spirit. Let's see if we see this in the text and I, I want you to look in your Bibles at the Great Commission and see these three ingredients with me. The first ingredient is by far the most shocking ingredient that God would use in this recipe. It's unthinkable that he would add this. It's like putting broccoli on pizza. It's a no-no. The first ingredient is God's people. Can you imagine the moment? Here's the resurrected Lord Jesus, he's defeated death itself. And he's gathered together with only 11 remaining disciples. They're still quite a ragtag group. And Jesus is standing there in glory and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. 
And the disciples are going, oh, this is going to be good. Yes, yes. This is like the Avengers assembling, and we've got Iron Man. He's right here. And then he does something shocking. He says, precisely because I have all this authority, guess what I'm doing? I'm delegating and empowering you, you, to accomplish my mission. Wouldn't it be all authority has been given to me, therefore I, I, I will do this work. I'm going to do a lot of traveling. It's going to blow Billy Graham out of the water. Jesus could have done that, but he didn't. He said, actually, I'm leaving, and I'm sending you a gift, the Spirit, and I will work through you, God's people, accomplishing God's mission. Do you know who you are? Let's be honest for a moment. God chose to use you and me for the greatest mission the world has ever known. Avengers assemble. That's shocking. But this is God's plan. His sovereign will is to use God's people to accomplish his purposes. That's amazing. I'll prove to you it's true. Uh, If you believe that you're a Christian here, you, you claim today, yes, I follow Jesus. You show me a follower of Jesus, and I'll show you people who helped them follow Jesus. You show me a disciple, and I'll show you God's people involved either in helping them become a Christian or helping them grow as a Christian. God works through God's people. That's amazing. That means, church, if you're here and you claim to follow Christ, you have been selected for the varsity team. You are plan A for the Great Commission. And if you don't do it, you're missing out. God says, I want to do a great work. And amazingly, by my grace, I want to use people like me and you. That's the first stunning ingredient of the gospel and how it advances in the world. How does he accomplish his mission? He uses people. Who's helped you follow Jesus in your life? Where would I be without those people? They come to mind for me personally with warmth right now. There's too many to list. Where would you be without them? God has ordained to use those people in your life to help you follow Christ. And now the task is in your hands. The first ingredient of disciple making is God's people. But that's not the only ingredient. It's not just up to us or our our ideas. The second ingredient is God's people prayerfully speaking God's word. That's the second ingredient. Look at verse 20 of the Great Commission. This authority that Jesus has, he's delegating and empowering to people, but then he tells them what's involved, and, and this is a subordinate participle. 
that's fleshing out the main verb, make disciples. So it's a descriptor word. What does it mean to make disciples? And then we have this word teaching, an ing participle. It's describing the main verb. That's what it's about. How do you make disciples? How you make disciples comes from the most basic definition of what a disciple is. A disciple at its core is simply a learner. That's all they are. That's what 12 disciples did for three years when they walked around from Jesus. They were learners, his pupils. They watched, they learned. Jesus taught, sometimes formally, sometimes informally. Jesus used everyday life to teach his disciples the truth of God's word, and then to live it out. And that's what we're continuing to do today. The very thing Jesus modeled for us, we're doing with others today. We are prayerfully speaking God's word. Now you might be wondering, does this really work in the real world? Is this how this happens? God's people prayerfully speaking God's word? Let's see how the mission of God advanced in the early church. It's this book right after the Gospels called the Book of Acts. And we see the church going from 11 ragtag disciples to exploding across the early known world in just a few short years. And it happens through God's people prayerfully speaking God's word. I'll show you how this happens. Check check this out. Here's four references through the Book of Acts. First, in 431. I get them on the screen. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together, did you see prayer? Did I underline it? There you go. Prayer. When they had prayed, the place was shaken. They were filled with the Spirit. That's going to be our third ingredient. And then what happened? What happened? They continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. This is Acts 4. It's starting. Let's go to Acts 6. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly and people became obedient to faith. Acts 12, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 19, it's still growing. Do you see how it's getting bigger? So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is what's happening It's a movement of the word of God, expanding. Folks, God doesn't want to just use you to share your nice thoughts and ideas or your philosophy of how the world should work. We carry the truth from God himself with good news. And this is what he wants us to share. Our lives, a testimony of the power of the gospel spoken to others. How how does this look today? The ministry of the word happens in big moments and it happens in small moments. This spreading of the word happens in formal settings and informal settings. How does disciple making happen? It's, It's happening right now. Right now. I am speaking the word very prayerfully. Been praying a long time and you are being discipled. And this is big, and it's very formal. I have a button shirt on. (laughs) But it happens in informal ways, all the time. This is how simple this can be. This is big and formal, let's go small and informal. You're on a hike to Horsetooth. 
You bump into a stranger who is staring at the sunset, and they look at you and say, isn't that beautiful? And you know what you do in that moment? You prayerfully speak the word of God, and you say, hey, stranger, I totally agree. That's stunning. It's like a painting, and and it's one of the reasons why I don't think that sunset's an accident. I'm convinced there's, there's a designer, there's a creator who makes that sunset. And you just, in that moment, do you see how informal that? That is the word of God being prayerfully spoken to another person. That's the ministry of the word. It happens at the water cooler in your office when a coworker comes up and shares their cancer diagnosis. And with tears, they say, why is there so much suffering in this life? And in that moment, you prayerfully speak the truth of God's word and you say, brother, I'm with you. I've wrestled the same question myself. And there's suffering in this world because it's a broken world because of sin. But I know my hope is in a redeemer who makes things right. You just spoke the word of God into an everyday moment. This is the ministry of the word. It can happen in big, it's gonna happen in discipleship training modules. It's gonna happen in your life group. It happens when you text a friend who's a Christian and has been struggling with anxiety and you send them Isaiah 41.10, fear not friend for I'm with you. Be not dismayed for I'm your God. I will help you and strengthen you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. You just discipled somebody, boom through a text, because you prayerfully spoke the word of God into someone else's life. It happens when we sing the word of God, gathered formally as the church, and it happens when you send your uncle that Spotify worship song that's laced with God's truth, saying, uncle, listen to this. I hope it encourages you. Boom, disciple making. This is not rocket science. Jesus did not want to give us multivariable calculus as the Great Commission. He's made it simple. And it's, this formula has worked for centuries. God's people prayerfully speaking God's word. Now, some of you are already getting hesitant. You are backpedaling. You're going, hold on. This sounds nice, but don't you dare ask me to get involved in this work. I didn't go to seminary. I don't know Greek. This is the best ingredient of all three. And it's critical that you know. Not only is God going to fulfill the Great Commission with God's people, and not only is he going to do it prayerfully speaking God's word, he does it when we depend on God's spirit. It's not up to you. It's not up to you. He just wants to use you. He's saying, come be a part of this great work. But I'm doing it. Here's the spirit. Do you see the promise even in the Great Commission? In the very end, the sweetest verse, if you're feeling nervous, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age, not just a promise for 11 disciples. That's a promise for every disciple who will ever live. I'm with you. How is Jesus with us? I didn't see him walk through that door this morning, but I know that he's gifted us his spirit 
who dwells in every believer and coaches you on in the pilgrimage of following Christ. The Spirit of God is with you at the water cooler at work talking to a coworker with cancer. And the Spirit of God is with you on a hike staring at a sunset. And He's with you right now. And I'm praying, I pray this morning in that room that He would prick your spirit this morning and mine to embrace this great mission. This is the sweetest ingredient of all. You are not alone. Are you nervous? Do you feel the the yoke of Jesus calling you to get in the game and participate in this great work? He's saying, I want to use you, God's people. I want you prayerfully speaking God's word, and I want you to depend on the Spirit. This is how we make disciples. Disciple-making is moving people one step at a time towards Jesus to become like him. How do we do it? God is doing the work using God's people, prayerfully speaking God's word, independence on God's spirit. That's what we're doing. It's not calculus. David Wells, a pastor, has observed this quote. He says, it's very easy to build churches in which seekers simply congregate. Just show up and fill the room. It's not that hard. It says, you know what's really hard? It is very hard to build churches in which biblical faith is maturing into genuine discipleship. This is a picture of the kind of church we strive and aim and prayerfully want to build. We, look, if you're here and you, I, I'm telling you, you're welcome here. You can come any Sunday. But if you're here and you just want to warm up a pew, this, you, you might start to not like this church very much. It might get up in your craw a little bit, stir your chili. Because we want your life to be transformed. There's more. There's more. We can be a part of this great work, and this is the picture of the kind of church we want to become. We strive to become a church of disciple-making disciples, and we want to help you, and we want to live it ourselves. This is the vision of where our church is headed. Mark Dever has this wonderful quote that summarizes this disciple-making life. He says, the Christian life is a discipled life and a disciple-making life. Yes, Christianity involves taking the road less traveled, but not in the way Frost or Thoreau meant. Christianity is not for loners. It's not for individualists. It is for a people traveling together down the narrow path that leads to life. You must follow and you must lead. You must be loved and you must love. And we love others best by helping them follow Jesus down the pathway to life. That's what we're about here at LifePoint. We believe there's real, abundant life 
and an unexpected joy that many people haven't tasted. We want them to experience it. And we're pilgrims on a journey pursuing Jesus. And we're calling out to others. We're saying, life's this way. Come follow us. That's the vision and the kind of church we want to become. I want to share, as we turn here, a a concrete four-year plan for how we could become that kind of church. This is a massive undertaking. And we have been working through quite a season together to develop this plan that we want to share with you. But I, I shared at the beginning that we need to plan as a church. And I want to give you a a few reasons why we need to plan. Why have a vision Sunday? I know that some of us aren't planners. I'm a planner, admittedly. And I've heard this pushback. I've heard from people say, why don't we just trust God? Just, you know, take it one day at a time and see where we end up. And there's merit. There's merit. I'm not knocking you. I'm saying there's merit to trusting God and being in the moment, in the present. The problem I have with the argument that we shouldn't plan is, is threefold. First, God himself is a planner. Newsflash, Jesus wasn't an accident. And, and it wasn't a last minute rushed plan either. He didn't show up like in the first century and God was going, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, this could work. This could work. Okay, we got the Romans and we got these Pharisees. And okay, okay, uh, uh, where's my son? Where is he? Okay. He made this plan the moment he created the world. He knew. So we plan because God's a planner. We plan because Proverbs instructs us that the wise should make plans, but there's a way that we should make plans. And there's a great verse here in Proverbs that shows us the way that we plan. In Proverbs 16, 9, it says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. There's a beautiful tension here. That that verse of wisdom does not mean don't plan. It means make plans, but you do so trusting the providence and sovereignty of God. That's how we plan. So everything I'm about to share with you, just so you don't get tired of me saying it, will be prefaced with these two words, Lord willing. Lord willing. I mean that in the most theologically rich way I can possibly use those words. If God wills, this is where our church will be in four years. But we will plan. We'll plan in pencil, trusting him to establish our steps. So where are we headed as a church? Where do we see ourselves? Let me give you a glimpse. Uh, I'm going to share that this is our intent over the next four years. I want to share that these are our plans right now. They're going to take four years to accomplish. So if we haven't finished them all yet, give me until after the potluck, okay? Need a little bit more time to accomplish these. Just know that as you hear this. In the next four years, LifePoint longs to become a church of disciple-making disciples. That's what we want to be. And we want to be fueled by a whole new generation of next-level leaders that equip the body to engage the nations and neighborhoods in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. This is the kind of church we long to become. 
And we think we can take some next steps to become that church in the next four years. Six years ago, when we transitioned to this plurality of leadership, we got together as pastors and elders, and we shared three words to describe the next three seasons of our church. We have never varied for six years from these three words. People are sick of me sharing them. <laughs> There's the three words where we saw where God was directing us. The first word was stability. Second season was clarity. And the third season was movement. We spent several years gaining stability with a new leadership model and some transitions in our church. We did that, Lord willing. Praise God. We then spent several years seeking clarity. We gathered teams and had prayer and fasting meetings, asking God for clarity on who we are as a church, what we value, what we should be about. And we've gained clarity. And then we had a wonderful season of COVID that I like to call chaos. <laughs> and we aged a lot. I aged many years, decades, in just two short years. And now, now, we sense God's calling us to the perfect timing of movement. You see, in our local predicament here, people are often lulled to sleep by a false sense of happiness and contentment that won't, won't last. And we believe we have an abundant life in Jesus that leads to an unexpected joy. COVID and a pandemic was a wonderful gift because it stripped a whole world of the nice things that distract us from real life, didn't it? Church, the time is now. As a pandemic fades, people are already starting to get lulled back to sleep. I can hear the hum of Netflix. I hear it. It's lulling people back to being happily lost. We have something greater, and the time for movement is now. So this, this vision that we've just shared with you, it seems pretty theoretical, and we, we as leaders wanted to give you a more concrete way to try to measure it. So see if you can remember this. This is a vision about movement. It's about going, and so we're going to call it a four, three, two, one, go kind of vision. Four, three, two, one. Here's where we're headed in the next four years. We've called it Next Steps 2026. And in the next four years, we intend to take our next steps in engaging three nations, two neighbors, and one transformed neighborhood. It's a four, three, two, one vision. Let's go. In the next four years, we intend to take our next steps in engaging three nations, two neighbors, and one transformed neighborhood. Let me flesh out what those elements are. Four, three, two, one. Four years, that's the timeline. I have a calendar appointment in iCal. There's an alarm set. It's September 13th, 2026. That's accountability. That's going to happen, Lord willing. That day will come. Where will we be as a church? I want to pray that this is where we are. That in four years, we would reach three nations by equipping and sending well three new global partnership teams from our very fold. 
That's what we want to do. We want to be about God's mission, not just here, but to the ends of the earth. So we want to make a difference for the nations. And we want to see that. Can you imagine training and equipping and sending well three new global partner teams to carry the gospel and good news in just four years? That will be an effort. That's three nations we want to meet. But we want to not only go to the globe, we want to go right here in the neighborhoods. And that's why in the next four years, we want to challenge you to reach two of your neighbors and help them take in a radically faith-filled next step towards Jesus. And if you remember, we've talked about neighboring a lot. Generally, people have about eight neighbors around them. Even if you're in a dorm room, you're covered with neighbors. You got them on either side. Maybe in your place of work or in your extended family, there are people that God has placed in your sphere of influence, and he has given you this great commission to prayerfully speak God's word, depending on the Holy Spirit, and to trust him for the results. Can you imagine your life in four years if you helped just two of your neighbors take their next step with Jesus? Can you imagine if a whole church did that, the kind of difference it would make in four years? How many lives would be transformed? Three global partners reaching three nations, two of your neighbors transformed, and finally one neighborhood that we're transforming. We as a church want to have a, a symbol a catalyst to represent physically what we aim to happen in transformation spiritually. And we have already begun assembling a team that's pursuing a grant with our city. This is a grant. This is free money. Free money. Yes. We're going to go after this. And it's partnering with our city to transform our back four acres. This grant has already been approved for other churches in the past. I believe we're great contenders, and I'm prayerfully looking forward to see that. Here's a, a picture of what our neighbors get to look at every day. And if you think that's grass, you're wrong. <laughs> you're looking at a volleyball field of sand and a playground. Do you see the playground? Come on, kids. Get your tetanus shot. It's bad. And we have found that as, as neighbors, as a church in this community, we want to be the kind of church that if we closed our doors, the city would mourn. They would mourn because of the kind of difference we make in this community. We will not stand any longer to be a blight. We want to see a transformation. And uh, here's a picture of First Pres. They won this grant three years ago. It's looking beautiful, and we're going to pursue this grant, Lord willing. I've even got a, we've got a site plan that uh, is a potential drawing. Today, we're going to have a picnic, potluck, intentionally on that wonderful space. Find the green grass, wherever it is, all right? And we've got pictures out there of this site plan. You can see it up close, and you can pray that we would win this grant, free money, over the next four years. It will be a long process. This is one of the ways we want to see transformation, but not just to transform yard. We want to pursue a strategic partnership with one of our community partners, Serve 6-8, and we are already working on pursuing an opportunity where we could make a difference in northern Colorado with people who are food insecure in our neighborhood. 
into all of northern Colorado. We're, we're pursuing ways that we can be salt and light in transforming our neighborhood. Much more of that to share. I've got to be very brief as I give you an overview. But this is where we're headed. It's a 4-3-2-1 vision. In four years, we want to reach three nations, two neighbors, and one transformed neighborhood. Now, that's where we're headed, but we need some strategies of how we're going to get there. And so I've got a, a slide, this big slide with four strategies underneath that's going to show you how we intend to get there. And these four strategies in the bottom, we need to remember, these are just us sharing today our intent to pursue these strategies. They're rough because they need work. And we think they're the most important ones, the top four, for us to achieve this vision. So uh, let me briefly just give you a quick overview of these four strategies. The first hill that we want to take on the path to this summit of becoming a Next Steps church is we need to clarify the disciple-making pathway. I've got a graphic here, and I'm going to look up at the screen, and if you're checking out the live stream, hopefully you're seeing these arrows. It's very intentional that these arrows are moving to the right. And if we go to the next slide, you can see that everybody Everybody is somewhere on this pathway. Where are you? Where are you on the path today? You're up there. And this is the Christian life. We start way over there on the far left. If we pull back up that little guy, we're far away from Jesus. You were lost. And at some point, God started working through God's people, prayerfully speaking God's word in dependence on God's spirit to move you to the right to start taking some next steps. And eventually you heard the gospel and eventually, maybe if you're a Christian today, you trusted that good news. You put your faith in Jesus with belief and you repented of your sins and you became a Christian. And then you weren't done. It wasn't over. God didn't just pull you up into glory. You've spent the rest of your Christian life continuing to move towards Jesus, to become more and more like him. In order to move people along this path, we need to define the mile markers to help people know how they're progressing along towards Christ-likeness. And so we've begun identifying. Here's six, six steps that people could take. These are simply mile markers. These are fluid. People spend a lot of time in these areas, but let me just illustrate a couple of these. The first is prayer. I am passionate about this being our very first mile marker, and here's why. There are close to eight billion people on this earth, and a shocking amount of them will be born on this planet will live their life and they will die without anyone ever praying for them by name. Can you imagine a precious human soul with a real name and that name has never been sent up to heaven in prayer? Do you know you live next to people like that? You got somebody at your work who's never been prayed for? No more. No more. D don't you see? We want to start by praying for these people. You realize what could happen if you were the first person on the earth to pray for your neighbor, what God might do through your prayer. And then we move them on the pathway, start engaging that person in a relationship. You get to know them. Eventually, maybe you share the gospel. Lord willing, they respond. They become a believer. They're a new baby. And when a baby's born, you don't just let them go. 
Yay, we've got a brand new Christian. No, they need nurturing and feeding and help and training as a young baby. We move them along, all along the pathway. We need to clarify the disciple-making pathway if we are to make disciples. Next, we need to develop leaders. This is one of our other key strategies. If leadership, uh, if this pathway is like a pilgrimage, we need leaders to gather groups of people and move them forward. We want to be about developing leaders here at LifePoint, and it's one of our intended strategies. This comes from Ephesians 4, where God gifts the church with various leaders to equip the body for ministry. Third, we need to cultivate the culture of this kind of vision. We see in Scripture God gives many rhythms to his people to help develop a culture. He gave them a rhythm of Sabbath so that he would create a kind of culture, a kind of people who aren't self-reliant, but stop for one day to remember that they depend on God. I could give you 20 other illustrations. There's festivals, there's all kinds of rhythms. We want to be very intentional about evaluating our current rhythms and aligning our current rhythms so that we produce the kind of culture that we desire. And then we want to celebrate stories and testimonies of people who are taking their next steps with Jesus. The final hill that we want to take is we want to move forward in debt-free generosity. We believe at LifePoint that generosity is contagious. It's like these vectors and God's grace has been given to us, and as we are then generous to others, it's contagious and spreads. And we want to see that generosity spreading throughout our church. We believe that God teaches us that generosity is an important part of our spiritual development and growth, and God chooses to work through the generosity of his people in the local church. So as we prepare to take our next steps into the nations and neighborhoods, we want to finish our last step. We've got one last step still hanging from the past, and it's beautiful. We raised money to build a beautiful new foyer, a fireside room. We've got a very stable and secure place for our early childhood wing. We're excited about that. And we believe we are within striking distance of eliminating this debt. We're excited about this. And so look forward to this fall. We're going to have a generosity sprint, a short campaign to try and knock this thing out. Our current debt stands at $660,000. So as you know, that's about the cost of a one-bedroom apartment in Fort Collins, Colorado. (laughs) This is manageable. We can do this. We can do this. And and we're going to finish this last step so we can start taking our next steps. We want to even go beyond that and start a fund called the Next Steps Fund so that we can take new opportunities. Imagine sending global partners well, not saying, well, we don't have anything for you, so we hope the mission field goes well. Good luck in Burma. We want to send them well. And and we want to exceed this and go beyond. So look forward to that. Debt-free generosity. This is a strategy. It's coming soon. All right, that's it. Lots of information. Next steps, 2026. It's a 4-3-2-1-go vision. In four years, we want to take our next steps in engaging three nations, two neighbors, and one transformed neighborhood. You've got it all. You've got it all. Here's the thing about vision. You might be wondering right now, that sounds nice, but this isn't for me. It's such an external vision, it's about other people, but you might selfishly for a moment be asking, what's in it for me? 
And I want to share with you from personal testimony, this vision is not just for the world and for our neighbors, it's for you. And I'll, I'll testify that I know when I personally am engaged in God's mission, I pray more. I have found this to be true in my life. Have you? I know when I am engaged in God's mission, I find a greater sense of fulfillment and significance and purpose every day because I'm doing God's work when I'm engaged in God's mission. I find, I find that my faith is stretched when I'm engaged in God's mission, depending on him to do what only he can do as I have the conversation on the hike about the sunset. I find I'm more connected to other people. I have a greater sense of belonging when I'm engaged in God's mission because this mission wasn't designed to be done alone. It's meant to link arms with other brothers and sisters. This mission is for you. One of the best ways for you to mature in Christ is to be engaged in the work of Christ. So what's in it for you? It's an opportunity to have four years unlike any four-year stretch of your life. So I, I want to close by dreaming together of what this could be like. So in a moment here, I want to give us some space and time to reflect. And today we're going to have a meal on the back. Four. This lawn, we're going to do that meal to dream together. In four years, on September 13th, 2026, we'll have the same meal again only it will be in a radically new space. Only we'll have more global partners who we're gonna send a plane ticket to and say, partners, come on back for a celebration meal. We wanna honor you here in Fort Collins on September 13th, 2026. Your neighbors, two of them, will be on that lawn eating casserole. Lord willing, in one new transformed neighborhood. So what I want you to do at this time is take out this card right here. You handed one of these. Take out this card, and I'm going to guide you through a moment of reflection and prayer for you to envision what the next four years of your life could be like. All right, everybody's got the card. Uh, here's step one. I want you to think about this for a moment. First, I want you to grab a pen in the pew back in front of you. Maybe at home, you can grab a piece of paper, a journal, write this down. I want you first to list some concrete details of how your life will be different in four years. What are some details of your life? How will it be different? Uh, for me, I would bullet point in four years, Lord willing, I'll be 37 years old. In four years, Lord willing, I'll have a fifth grader, a fourth grader, and a second grader in four years. So just start listing some details that you know. What will your life be like in four years if you stay on this path? Take a few minutes to do that now.
As you continue to write a few concrete details, I want you to now move into dreaming. And prompt two says, I want you to prayerfully describe the status of your life on September 13th, that's a Sunday, 2026. If you took faith-filled next steps with Jesus, what could be true of your life if you engaged in this great work? Start dreaming and write down a few bullet points. Continue to pray and dream. I want you to finish with this prayer. You personally, between you and your maker, Lord, what next steps could I begin taking today to start walking towards that preferred future? Take a moment to pray. Let me pray over us. Lord, use me as you will and do with me what you will. But oh, Father, promote your cause. Let your kingdom come. Let your blessed interest be advanced in this world. Oh, Father, bring in great numbers, many to begin following Jesus, and let me see that glorious day. Give me to grasp for multitudes of souls and let me be willing to die to that end. And while I live, let me labor for you to the utmost of my strength, spending time profitably in this work, both in health and in weakness, because it is your cause and your kingdom that I long for and not my own. So Father, may your kingdom come through us today. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.